are going to look into His Word in Colossians chapter 2. Uh, our text today is verses 13 through 23. However, I'm going to begin my reading in verse 11. So, Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Hear once again the very words of the living God. In Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, But the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, If you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments of the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Scriptures teach us the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, as we come to this passage that speaks to us about our liberty in your Son Jesus Christ from things which we could not keep and then things which tempt us to do otherwise, We pray that you would illumine our minds and our hearts as to what true righteousness is and that that righteousness is embodied in a person who has made us alive in him by and through your spirit. Help us to understand these truths with clarity. Give us ammunition to be prepared to answer any man who asks of the hope that is in us, and that we might say of that hope, this is truth, and be forthright and courageous to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we do pray. Amen. Well, brethren, our passage today in Galatians two thirteen through 23 is one of many passages from the pen of the Apostle Paul that emphasizes the liberty that Christians have in our Savior Jesus Christ. (coughs) For we Christians Christians who are citizens of the United States 
Few concepts in our lives overlap our citizenship and the kingdom of God like this notion of liberty. In fact, I suspect when the word liberty is spoken, we more often think of our civil liberties rather than our liberating faith. Well, today's passage reorients our thinking to consider the genesis of true liberty. Where does true liberty come from? And our young man here has got the liberty to tell us. We, we appreciate that. I appreciate that very much. I, lo- I love what comes out of the mouths of babes. Well, our liberty is an etern- eternal concept as it's discussed here in our passage. I'll make the, I hope to make that more clear in a few moments. And it springs from an authority that is eternal, that authority being Jesus Christ. And this is often where the mind of modern man falters greatly. Liberty does not exist in isolation. It does not have an existence apart from God and His creation. Liberty doesn't float in the cosmos seeking to land on some inhabited planet to transform the minds of men. That's not what liberty is. No, liberty springs from an attribute of the Almighty God. Liberty exists because God is a being free from slavery to, yes, even the bondage of sin. Brethren, this is why freedom and liberty are so closely linked. Liberty is the very notion that we can be free from something, liberated from something. And Paul describes this in verses 13 through 15 without even mentioning the words freedom and liberty. Hear his words. And you, being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Paul is telling us, you've been liberated. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, bound to those things as a slave is bound by chains, but no more. No more. Someone has taken away the handwriting of requirements that were against us, having wiped them away. He's forgiven our trespasses and sin. He's made us alive together with Him. And all these things were contrary to us, meaning they were, they were far from our reach. But Jesus Christ accomplished those things. It is from these verses that we begin to understand what true liberty is. Martin Luther called the condition of man before regeneration as the bondage of the will. That's how he termed it, the bondage of the will. And he wrote an entire book on the subject matter. If you've not read it, I commend it to your reading. His book was devoted to explaining how man's will that is dead to righteousness and shackled to sin and death can be liberated. That's what the book was about. How his being can be set free in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I appreciate Shay's comments about the reading of the law this morning. He, not knowing what I was going to be preaching today, he mentioned all these things already. So that was a good preface to today's sermon. 
Well, our outline today centers on the liberating work of our Lord Jesus. We shall consider three aspects of liberty. Number one, the true liberty, that true liberty cannot be rightly understood apart from its author. True liberty cannot rightly be understood apart from its author. Second, true liberty is not freedom from law. True liberty is not freedom from law. And then third, true liberty is defined by God's righteousness, not man's perceived righteousness. But before we begin these aspects of true liberty, I must first remind us of the limitation of, of today's sermon and even the passage which, with, which we are looking at. Unlike Paul's letter, today's sermon will not conclude at the end of chapter 2 in Paul's epistle to the Colossians. Uh, this is unfortunate because what follows chapter 2 is really an explication of the consequences of being liberated. So for our visitors today that won't be back with us next week, I commend to you, read the chapter, contemplate it. Uh, you might want to, if, if we can, you might want to come back and look at uh, the sermon from next week on uh, Sermon Audio as I endeavor to uh, uh, explicate the benefits of the liberty we talk about today, which are uh, concisely given to us in chapter 3. So, let's go to our first point then. True liberty is only understood in knowing its author. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose some philosophical questions and, and emphasize some, some ph- philosophical thoughts as we first deal with this. The first thing I want to bring to our attention is man is made in the image of God who is by his very nature free from all things. We are made in the image of God and God is free from all things. God is not conditioned by anything outside himself. He is the one who conditions all other things. The only things that condition God are those things he denies himself. He conditions himself. Nothing conditions God from the outside. Why? Because he's the creator. He's the great conditioner. There's probably a better way to say that. He conditions all things, but not, is not conditioned by things unless he himself uh, chooses to, to condition himself by things uh, that he's created. God's hand is not stayed unless he stays his own hand. Let me say that again. God's hand is not stayed in action unless he stays it himself. He has the liberty to act or not act. He has the liberty to choose when to act and when not to act. God is completely a free being. So we've got to understand this. This is one of his attributes. For example... In judgment, in the judgment of sin, God can choose to be long-suffering, withhold his actions, or he can choose to be swift to execute judgment. <coughs> Illustrative of, of both of these things, it, uh, the, the first one, long-suffering, is God's bringing judgment to the world in the days of Noah. How long did it take Noah to build the ark? A hundred years. God was long-suffering with a wicked world that his judgment was turning on. And he gave the world the opportunity to repent through the preaching of Noah and the evidence of the ark that was being built. And yet, the world did not repent. 
And a hundred years later, after the building of the ark began, judgment would come. Or judgment can be much more swift, as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, when the angels appeared to Abraham, and Abraham argued back and forth about how many righteous people had to be there to, to uh, withhold the, the, the judgment of God. And you'll remember that the, the angel of the Lord, who probably, it was probably a Christophany, it was probably our Lord Himself speaking with Abraham in, this, in the circumstance. Uh, how many would, would have to exist there? And it was just a handful. And yet, when judgment came, the angels of the Lord, the messengers of God, go to, uh, to Lot, his family, and say, get out. Judgment is imminent. And they leave. And then when his wife turns to see the hand of God's judgment, how imminent was her judgment for having disobeyed God? It was immediate. So God can withhold His judgment in long-suffering. He can mete it out very quickly if He desires to. He is free to do those things because of his, the attribute of His own liberty. He governs all things. He governs all things. Similarly, God can choose to exhibit mercy or not. He is God. All His ways are righteous. For He is the author and personification of righteousness in the person of His Son, Jesus. What creature can question on whom God exercises mercy? That's the question Paul poses in the book of Romans. Who are we to question on on whom God shows His mercy? He's created all of us. If He chooses to show His mercy on some and not others, has He done something wrong? Has He promised an obligation to all men? No. What He's promised is judgment to all men. All men who, who defy Him need to be judged for their sins, including every one of us. And that judgment is meted out. His hand is not stayed. He will judge all sin. The question is, will He judge it in your person or will He judge it in the substitute for you, the person of Christ? It will happen. The question, on whom will the judgment fall? By what higher standard can God be judged than His own righteousness? Is there a standard that says that God must save everyone? And where does that standard come from? The imaginations of men? If it exists anywhere, that's where it exists. It didn't come from Him. There is no higher standard than God Himself. And Jesus is the personification of God to us. This is what God looks like when He lives with us. This is... There's nothing like this. This is unique. This person, Jesus Christ. We, we saw it this morning in Matthew chapter 12. How he discerns about the, the strong man and the stronger man. It, I couldn't help but think about what happened at the Creation Museum when we were there worshiping. And I was preaching from the parallel passage in Luke 11 about the strong man's house set in order and a stronger man comes to pillage the house And who is that stronger man, I said? And it's Jesus Christ. And immediately a dinosaur roared in the background. 
the, the presentation in the room that we were in was on a timer and the timer went off and the dinosaur roared and that was the, I like to think it was the lion of the tribe of Judah that, <laughs> that came out. Jesus is unique in that He is the personification of the righteousness of God and the liberty that we have, which is an attribute of God, the liberty that we have in God as being His image bearers. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This harkens back to to our reading of the law each week. We find that in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin would become sin for us, that we might be clothed in His righteousness, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And brethren, that is where liberation comes from. When God gives us His attributes and replaces the, the, the ones that we have which are of no value, in fact, are our bondage, when He replaces that for us, liberation comes to man. Romans chapter 10, verses one or 2 and 2 through 4. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. This is Paul speaking of his kinsmen, the, the uh, Jews. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end of these things. He is the completeness of them. And as we say each week, the Ten Commandments and the two great commandments, Jesus is the one who distills it down to two commandments. What it means to be righteous before our Maker. Before God. And in that, there is liberty. Romans 8.29 For whom He foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. We are to be conformed to the image of Christ who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the One who has liberty, who exemplifies liberty. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are... Our image is to be conformed to the image of our Savior Jesus Christ. And as we, as we embrace the new covenant, which by the way, part of the new covenant, one of the terms of the new covenant, look it up, Jeremiah 31, Hebrews 8, Hebrews 10, one of the, the elements of the new covenant is that He writes His laws in our hearts and on our minds. We are to be conformed to the image of Christ in righteousness, being people of God's righteousness. Which brings us to another notion, the second point. True liberty is not freedom from law, it's freedom to do righteousness, the laws of God. Mankind and all of God's creation no matter what it is, whether it's the trees or the creatures, whether it's man, whether it's the seasons, whatever. They're all subject to law, are they not? 
Aren't all things subject to some form of law? Some of you are, are engineer types. I praise the Lord for you. We need you desperately. Especially when my car is broken down. But all of your work is conforming to the laws of physics. Isn't it? And who established those laws? Did not God establish that? Can we just ignore them and hope that everything goes well? I suppose you could. But very soon you're going to become very frustrated. Mankind himself is going to embrace some kind of law. It's either going to be God's law or some form of man's law. And that's what Paul is warning against at the end of the chapter. We'll look at that in just a moment. The laws of nature are determined and sustained by God. To attempt to change the laws of nature is to attempt to defy God, which by definition of God's being is impossible. You, you may think you can defy God and succeed, but you cannot because He is God. To defy the, the ultimate being, the one who governs all that exists, is at best foolishness. And at worst, idolatry. So God says, conform to the image of my Son. He teaches us that. That's where our conformity needs to be. The laws that govern men instituted by God are just, they are right, and they are good, the Scriptures tell us over and over. And it's because God has declared them to be so. No other laws can compete with the laws of God for goodness and righteousness. Only His laws conform us to His image. Any other laws conform us to some other image, which is not what He's calling us to be conformed to. Thus, true liberty is embracing the laws as instituted by God, which for the Christian are written on our hearts and our minds, as I mentioned before in the New Covenant, Hebrews 8 and 10. This, I'm, I'm often confronted on social media, well, I don't get there very often, but when I do, I often see the, there's a quote by a, a Hebrew scholar that there are some 700 laws contained in the Old Testament compared to the 50,000 federal laws that exist on the books in our country. And that's just the federal laws. There's probably another 10, 10 or 20,000 laws in, on the state governments. Now, where do you think liberty exists? In 700 laws? or 50,000 laws. Where does true liberty exist? Not in the machinations of men, but in the Word of God. And frankly, a lot of those 700 laws that are contained in the Old Testament have been fulfilled in Christ already, so they've passed away. The number is much less than that. Much less than that. And in fact, Jesus says, He summarizes it with two laws. Ought we not to embrace God's kind of liberty? Do these two things well, and you shall live. Or, choose the ones given by men. And this brings us to the last point. True liberty cannot be found in man's laws. It can only be found in conforming oneself to the image of the Son. Look at our passage once again. Let's read those, uh, those last few verses beginning in verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? If you've died to the world, why on earth would you go back to it? If God has liberated you from 
the world, why on earth would you want it again? Did it taste so good then? Does it taste better than salvation in Christ? Hardly. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of man. Why would we embrace those kinds of things? It's ridiculous. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Brethren, Paul is calling us, embrace the liberty of God. Before salvation, the law of God is a burden that we cannot ever bear. Because those laws condemn us. We break them all too often. We can't possibly keep them. It is a burden that we cannot bear. Paul's not saying the, the laws of God, the moral law of God is something that is evil and it's been put away. The curse of it has been put away. That's the benefit. When we embrace our Savior Jesus Christ, He's going to write His laws in our hearts and our minds. Why? To ignore them? No. To keep them. To keep them. So what, what's, what has gone away? It's the curse of the law. The curse of the law that has been removed. As far as the east is from the west. The Scripture says, He's made our sins whiter than snow. All of these things are great benefits that come by embracing Christ. But only, only those who embrace the Savior, His sacrificial giving of His life for your sins, His resurrection that you might have eternal life, embracing the Savior that you might live. And it's not burdensome. In fact, it should be your joy. It should be your joy. If it's not a joyful thing to honor God in your ways, following His commandments, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, if that's not your joy, if that's not the thing that motivates you, then are you seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness and trusting that He will add all things to you? I pose that question because the heart of man is desperately wicked, the Scriptures say. We can't know it. If you've not put your faith in Christ, embraced that Savior, want to be conformed to His image, want to, to when, he, when He writes those laws in our hearts and minds, want to know them intimately, those things that honor Him, because that's what He wanted to do with His Father, honor His Father intimately doing His very will each and every moment. If that isn't part of your life, you need to pose the question, do I have saving faith? It's a legitimate question. If you can't answer that question, see me before you leave today. Faith in Jesus Christ is living. It's vibrant. It's not dead. James teaches that, us, that to us in his epistle. Faith without works is dead faith. But if you, if you desire to live in obedience and in the image of Christ, it will be a living faith because it will be motivated by the Spirit of God. Brethren, 
Liberty is an absence of law. Liberty is found in doing God's law. In embracing God's righteousness for your own life. That's where true liberty is found. I'm sad to say that in Cincinnati, some of you are aware of this already, a young person, a child, well, I should say a minor, was having some problems with depression. Parents take the child to Children's Hospital, to the psychiatric clinic there, and ask that he be evaluated, or the the child be evaluated. Um, And the child, it was determined, uh, had a propensity or proclivity toward a transgender identity. And the parents very quickly said, this is not what we want for our child. We don't think that this is right or righteous. And take the, take the child home, but the uh, counselor and the child conspired together to go to the courthouse and ask a judge to make a determination on whether or not this child could pursue that, that identity. And a visiting judge, not a judge that's there by election, but a visiting judge in Hamilton County ruled that the child should be taken away from its parents and allowed to pursue this identity. This happened just like a week ago. Tomorrow there's going to be a rally on the courthouse steps in Cincinnati uh, against this. But this is what a society that has abandoned the King of Kings and Lord of Lords as the giver of liberating law and has taken that out of their mindset and replaced it with the imaginations of man's mind. The imaginations of man's mind. God will not be mocked. He's designed all of creation to honor Him. And when man attempts to change the design, the very design itself, man is shaking his fist in the face of the living God. Brethren, are are we so different from the days of Noah? The wickedness that our society embraces? Are we so different than Sodom and Gomorrah? Are we so different than the Roman Empire before its fall? Are we, are we more righteous than any of those? How righteous are we as a people? Corporately, collectively, we are not righteous at all. But there is a remnant. Remember our call to worship today from the psalmist? When the enemies of God rise up against me, Where do I put my trust? Where do I seek shelter? Where do I go to get wisdom and discernment? I go to the house of the Lord. And I gather in His name. And I trust in the One who's made these things real to us.
what true righteousness is, what true liberty is. Pray for our country. For those of you who might live in Hamilton County, as my wife and I do, pray for that county in this area. I can't help but think God's wrath is imminent. But I also know He is long-suffering. And He shows mercy where He will show mercy. And I take great comfort in that. Let us pray together. Father in Heaven, as we come before Your throne of grace again in prayer, we recognize that from this passage that liberating freedoms come from our Savior Jesus Christ. He is the personification of liberty. He has turned away, Father, Your wrath from those who put their trust in Him by His death on the cross.